Thank you so much. Thank you. It's great to be here with you this morning. Thanks for having me. It's a privilege to come and talk to you about justice this morning. I know for some of us, this actually may be a bit of a sensitive subject. So I just want to acknowledge that from the outset, that actually some of you here, some of us are living with an injustice that might be even eating away at us a bit. Um, And I believe that God wants to minister to that this morning, although that won't be what I'll focus on specifically. If you are sitting here and if some of this feels a little bit close to home for you, some of it feels painful to you, I want you to know from the outset that God cares and that God wants to speak into your heart. He is a God of justice. He cares passionately about justice from the smallest things to the biggest things. Um, I met a guy a few years ago just before the pandemic who uh, was begging on the streets of Hastings where I live and I got to know a little bit of his life story. He was uh, really open to just sharing what had gone on in his life. And at the point at which I met him, he was an alcoholic. He was struggling with addiction and he was living on the streets. Um, He'd just been through a painful relationship breakup and he was just in tears. But the thing that he talked about and the thing that he was so open about was that what had wrecked his life from his perspective was the fact that he could not get over an injustice that had happened when he was a child. And so he started to tell me about the fact that when he was a primary school age boy, um, his sister had been killed in a hit and run accident. And the person drove off and his sister was killed, but the person was later caught. And when they were caught, uh, this is his version of events, this is what he told me. He said that because they were an upstanding member of the community, because they were a local councillor, they worked in the local government, And because they're a local business person and entrepreneur, they got away with it. Basically, they didn't go to prison. It was acknowledged they'd done it. They admitted they'd done it, but they didn't go to prison. And this guy I met on the streets, he said, as a young boy, he just couldn't cope with the rage that he felt at this injustice. He found it so confusing like, how can this guy get away with it just because he's important, just because he's, he's known in the community? And whether that version of events was the true and accurate version of events or not, the fact is that this guy, 30 years on from when this happened, was sitting on a sleeping bag on the streets of Hastings, um, drinking alcohol, having just come out of a relationship where he'd got his heart broken which he said was pretty much his life story because he said he couldn't do relationships couldn't do a job couldn't do life because he just could not get over this injustice that had happened to him and to his sister so from this from his perspective this injustice had ruined his whole life every aspect of his life totally wrecked. 30 years on, he's in tears telling me about it. He, he's still holding the grief, the rage, the confusion. And, and I know that could be the case for some of us here as well. It may not be something as devastating as that, and it may well be something as devastating as that, where many of us have to live with injustice of one type or another throughout our lives. And even if you haven't experienced injustice on anything like that level, how old do you think you were when you first learnt the words, it's not fair? One of my youngest friends is a boy called Ezra who is five. 
I don't think I can count the number of times in a day hanging out with Ezra that he says it's not fair. It just seems to be, it's probably the most common sentence that he says. In fact, I was talking to his mum about this just yesterday. And I said, how long do you reckon he's been saying it for? When do you think he started? And she's like, oh, practically since he could string a sentence together. And um, maybe even if you can't remember when you started saying it, if you've got kids or grandkids, you'll know it's not fair. It's something that we learn to say from a very young age. In fact, from a very young age, we are acutely aware of injustice whether it's that um, our siblings got given more sweets, one more sweet in their little bowl of sweets than I got, one more scoop of ice cream, whatever it might be. We are almost attuned, aren't we, into that sort of injustice from the very serious and severe things to the very smallest of things. And I think this is actually part of what um, shows us that we are made in the image of God that we have this innate sense of right and wrong. And actually, we can see it. We just need to look around the world to see that human beings, we do have this kind of, this inbuilt sense of just knowing some things are right and some things are wrong. It's not perfect, and I'll come to that in a minute. But actually, think about the fact that I don't think there is a nation on the planet where murder is all right. It's all right. Yeah, we don't worry about that here. Now, laws may be different in different countries and punishments may be different in different countries. But globally, I think we'd all agree, wouldn't we? Murder's wrong. Stealing something that isn't yours, that's, that's wrong. I think there are these things where they're just kind of, we just carry this sense of justice. It's just something of who we are as people who are made in the image of God. It's part of how we bear his image and part of how we reflect him to the world around us. But our sense of justice is flawed, isn't it? Well, mine is for sure. Um, I tend to want justice when I've been wronged and I want mercy when I'm in the wrong. I really like justice when someone's upset me, when someone's offended me, when someone's done me harm. I'm not as keen on justice when actually it's me who's done the harm. Any of you who've ever had a speeding ticket may know what I'm talking about here. You know that thing where you get a speeding ticket and you can't argue with it. You know that you were speeding over the limit, but actually you don't want justice in that moment. You wanted to get away with it. And I think we all have things in our life where we, we don't want justice. We, we want to get away with it. Like I say, I want mercy um, when I'm in the wrong. I want justice when I've been wronged. But God is a God of both mercy and justice. It's the beauty of the Christian message. It's the beauty of the gospel that in Jesus dying on the cross, God brought perfect justice and wonderful mercy at the same time. At the same point in history, that moment when the kingdom of God came and began being rolled out across the planet, actually that there are mer- there's mercy and there's justice, those two things together. My sense of justice, if I'm honest with you, cannot be trusted. There are so many variable factors in whether I want justice or not. Even when I, whether I want justice for other people, it can depend very much on how close I am to the victim or how close I am to the offender. If the offender is one of my dear friends, I'll make all sorts of excuses for them about things I would never make excuses for. In fact, this kind of comes home to me on a regular basis. I've got um, a friend 
who cheated on her husband. And in the immediate aftermath of when this happened, I would hear people in our group of friends saying how awful she was, and I would leap to her defence because I knew the backstory. I knew what had gone on for two or three years beforehand. I knew that there were mitigating circumstances, that the marriage breakdown wasn't actually all her fault, that actually the marriage had broken down and then later she'd had an affair rather than the other way around. I defended her. But at the same time as that, someone else was talking to me about um, someone who had cheated on someone. And I heard myself say out my mouth, there's never any excuse for cheating on your husband or wife. My sense of justice cannot be trusted. It cannot be relied upon because my sense of justice also goes up and down depending on how much I care about the specific issue. There are some issues I am really passionate about. And there are other issues I think I should be passionate about, but if I'm honest with you, just not as bothered. Mostly because they don't affect me or they don't affect someone that I know. You know some of you here will be really passionate um, about racism, and that's right and that's good. But you might not care that much about sexism, and you should and vice versa. And I could give loads of examples of things I really care about and things I'm not that bothered about. And actually, probably, if you're anything like me, you'd recognise in yourself, sometimes you care about justice and sometimes just not so much. Like I say, my standards of justice, they go up and down. They fluctuate. I'm not impartial. I'm not. I'm usually invested. I'm not consistent in any way. Actually, that's the truth of it. Um, Like I say, my sense of justice is imperfect, but thankfully, God is not like me. God isn't like me. He is a God of justice, and his justice is absolutely perfect. I just want to run us very quickly through a few Bible verses that just talk about this. So Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, it says... All his ways are justice. Just and upright is he. All his ways are justice. Unlike me, where some of my ways are justice and some of my ways are very much not justice, God, all his ways are justice. He is just. He is upright. In Isaiah 30, verse 18, it says, The Lord is a God of justice. He's a God of justice. It's not just something that he cares about sometimes and not other times. It's part of who he is. It's part of what is inherent in his nature as God, that he is a God of justice. In Psalms 33 and 37, it says the Lord loves justice. He's not ambivalent about it. He loves justice. It matters to him and not just about one issue. He's not a single issue God He is passionate about justice in and of itself. Justice, righteousness, the difference between right and wrong and things being made right that have been wrong. But he doesn't just love it. He doesn't just care about it. It also, in Jeremiah 9, says he practices justice or in another translation, he exercises justice. God is not a passive God. He doesn't just sit back and go, I really care about justice. I wish everything was just. No, he intervenes. He is active. He exercises justice. He practices justice. He is not passive. In Psalms 10 and 103, it talks about God working justice. 
or God doing justice. God does justice. And it particularly talks about who he brings justice for. And it talks about the most vulnerable and the most oppressed people having a special place in the heart of God as the people that God is particularly concerned should know justice and should have their injustice, injustice put right. Unlike me, God's justice is proportionate, it is measured, it is balanced, it is fair. He's not harsh on some and lenient on others. God's justice is perfect, all his ways are just. His justice is also all-knowing. He knows every version of a story. You know, if you and I have a falling out, God knows your version and he knows my version. He knows all the facts and he knows the motives on both sides. God is all-knowing when it comes to justice, which means his justice is consistent, it is perfect, and it is trustworthy. God is just, he loves justice, he hates injustice. And that's why justice is a kingdom priority. It is why it is part of the rolling out of the kingdom of God that Jesus has ushered in. And it's why we see so often in the Bible God calling his people back to justice and away from injustice. In fact, we see God getting frustrated with his people a lot of the time, saying, actually, there's a whole load of religious stuff you do, but you've missed the importance of justice to my heart. We'll look at some of those passages in a second. God wants us, if we are followers of Jesus, to be a people who are leading the way in bringing justice where there is no justice, in fighting injustice where we see it. And that can be on a family level, it can be on a friendship level, it can be on a community level, it can be on a national level, it can even be on a global level, and it'll be different for different ones of us. Some of us might be especially called into this whole field of justice. Maybe you've got a job where you're about bringing justice. But none of us are kind of off the hook of being able to go, do you know what, I think that's for some Christians, but justice isn't really my thing. In fact, in Jubilee Plus circles, I'm kind of known as Mrs. Mercy. Mercy is the thing that I so often focus on. So I could stand here this morning and say to you, do you know what, I'm all about mercy. But God says, no, you've got to be about mercy and justice. And nowhere do we see this more clearly in the Bible than in Micah 6, verse 8. In Micah 6, verse 8, the prophet Micah says this. He has shown you, this is God, God has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. To act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, we have this incredible invitation to be a people who act justly. But you know what? It's not just an invitation. One of the key words here is required. What does the Lord require of you? We are invited, and actually it's a privilege, it is a glorious thing to imitate God. This God of justice, we are invited to imitate him, to be like him, to be one of his justice bringers in our setting, wherever we find ourselves. But actually it's more than an invitation. 
It's actually a requirement. And the reason it's a requirement is because the closer we get to God, the closer we get to knowing Jesus, actually the more we will find we are concerned about issues of justice and injustice. It's just part of following Jesus. It's just part of looking at how he treated people, how he interacted people, the people he defended, the people he spoke out on behalf of, but also the people he accused and the people he said, you're missing it. You know, Jesus said some pretty harsh things, didn't he? He said to the religious leaders of his day, you're hypocrites. It's a bit harsh, isn't it? You know, you think, if I come up to you and go, oh, you're a hypocrite, I don't think that would go too well for me. You'd probably be quite offended, wouldn't you? Jesus wasn't worried about offending people by saying, you're hypocrites. And actually, one of the things he said to the religious leaders in Matthew 23, verse 23, he said, you you do your tithing, you do some of your religious duties, but you have neglected the weightier matters, mercy, justice, and faithfulness. You've neglected the weightier things. He's actually calling them hypocrites, not because they're doing things wrong. He's actually talking about what they're doing right. He says, you're doing this, but you've not grasped the wholeness of God. You've not grasped the wholeness of who you're supposed to be as the people of God. God promises us that one day there will be perfect justice. Actually, that's part of the kingdom coming, is that one day, the day we are heading towards this glorious day. You know, in Isaiah 61, where it talks about the spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring good news to the poor. It talks about the year of favour. And often when people read that passage, they stop there because the next line is, and the day of vengeance of our God, which sounds a bit scary. And I'm not so keen. Day of favour, great. Day of vengeance, again, perhaps not so much. But you know what? The day of vengeance of our God is a beautiful day because it is when perfect justice comes. It is when every single wrong thing will be put right. The reason there'll be no more tears, no more mourning, no more grieving in heaven, no more pain is actually because in part that all wrong things will have been made right. That perfect justice will have come. That everything that went unpunished, that should have been punished, will be punished. Either through Jesus taking the punishment on the cross or through the punishment God will give to people for what they have done in their lives. Perfect justice is coming. So if you are sitting here this morning and you're like, I am struggling with an injustice that is tearing me up, eating me up inside. God cares and he promises you whether in this life or the next, there will be perfect justice for you. But in the meantime, we are to be those who co-labor with Jesus. We are invited to co-labor with Christ in bringing the kingdom of God now, in seeing it roll out across our families, our workplaces, our communities and our nation now. And part of seeing that kingdom roll out is that justice starts to roll out. That we become a people who fight injustice. We become a people who stand up for justice and bring justice where we have the power to do so. You know, in the same way that healings and miracles that we've heard about so wonderfully this morning are signs of the kingdom of God, so is justice. Justice is a sign of the kingdom of God that is supposed to point people towards Jesus. And that's why it's so important that for those of us here who are Christians, those of us who follow Jesus, that we care about justice, that we look to bring justice where we can, that we look to speak out against injustice when we have opportunity, because it points to Jesus. 
It points to his kingdom. It points to his rule and reign where there is perfect justice. We are called to act justly. We're not just called to act justly. Isaiah um, 1 verse 17 calls us to seek justice, to look out for opportunities to bring justice. In Isaiah 58 verse 6, we are told to loose the chains of injustice, to be those who untie people, to unbind people who are caught up with injustice. Actually, I love that in Proverbs, in uh, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 15, it says that the righteous are joyful about justice. That actually we're to be a people who take on something of the seriousness and the soberness of justice, but actually we're to find great joy in being justice bringers. And the reason it brings us joy is because what delights God's heart gets to eventually delight our hearts too. God wants us to care about injustice. In fact, it's not just that Jesus said to the religious leaders, you've neglected the weightier matters, but that actually echoes something that the prophet Isaiah said. In chapter 58 of Isaiah, we read that God actually says to his people, you are doing a whole load of religious stuff. Basically, it's the equivalent, if you read it, of God saying to us today, you're reading your Bible, you're praying you're worshipping, you're going to church every Sunday, you're even going to midweek church life, you know, well done. But you've missed it because you don't care about injustice. You don't care about the hungry. And this is exactly, and it's harsh words in some senses, isn't it? It's stuff that might kind of catch us a bit off guard. Well, God, I thought I was doing all the things that you want me to do, but God says, no, you must care about the things that God's heart cares about. And one of those things is the justice of God. So what does it look like in practice? Well, there are loads of examples. Again, I shall race through a few Bible verses and then I'll give some examples of where I've seen this in action. So again, in Isaiah chapter 1, 17, what it looks like to care about justice is to defend the oppressed, to defend people, to take up the cause of the fatherless and to plead the case of the widow. Now the fatherless and the widow, they're specific people that God was concerned about, but they're also an example of basically whoever is most vulnerable in our community, in our society today. God wants us to plead their case, to take up their cause. One thing this might look like, so um, in Hastings, when Universal Credit came in, the new benefit system, where it was new then, it's about seven years old, um, seven or eight years old now. When that system came in, probably like any new system, there were some flaws in it. There were some weaknesses in it. This isn't a political statement, by the way. This is just an inevitability of human beings setting things up and rolling them out, that there are going to be things about it that aren't perfect. And one of the things about it that wasn't perfect was that if you were overpaid... That was rectified within a week. And if you were underpaid, it could often take up to four weeks for that to be put right. So if you were given too much money, accidentally, you'd have to give it back within a week. But if you weren't given the amount of money you were entitled to, it could take up to four weeks. It's just an injustice, isn't it? It's just an imbalance. And at the time, my local MP then was uh, the Work and Pension Secretary. So part of this, part of defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow, well, actually, I knew several people at that time who had fallen victim to this kind of 
just unforeseen error in the system. And so having the opportunity to talk to a politician and actually, you know, to have that politician go, oh, oh yeah, that doesn't actually sound fair. That doesn't sound right. We could tweak that. We can kind of do something about that. It's just one small way. And actually, that was just one conversation with one MP, which in one sense is something any of us can do. Any of us can write to an MP and say, I don't know if you've noticed. We should assume the best. Let's assume it's not deliberate. Let's be kind. Let's be merciful in our approach. But let's say, look, I don't know if you've noticed there's an injustice here. Can you do something about it? Because you're in a position of power. And often they can and they will when we take that approach that is actually merciful, humble and just. It also uh, talks about, in Isaiah 58, which I've mentioned already, that an outworking of um, loosing the chains of injustice is that we share our food with the hungry, that we provide shelter. And it's interesting, it's shelter for the wanderer. I think it's not necessarily shelter for the homeless as such. I'm sure it includes that, absolutely. But who's the wanderer? Who's the person, maybe, and you think, well, you know, I'm not sure they deserve a home, or at least they don't deserve it here. Again, some of these things are so politically charged, it can feel almost dangerous to refer to them, and I'm deliberately not using certain language this morning. But we need to think, do I think biblically about justice Or am I influenced by the media or by my politics or by my fears? Let's be biblical in how we look at justice. It means giving clothing to those who need it. In Isaiah 58, it actually means supporting family members. And for some of us, that can be the hardest one of all. For some of us, it's like, yeah, the family members who really wind us up and we perhaps haven't got the patience for. And actually, they're the ones who are vulnerable, who we need to um, just be supporting. It also talks about what we shouldn't do, like don't point the finger, don't have malicious talk. But I think particularly what strikes me is that in Isaiah 58 verse 10, it says, spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed. Spend yourself. It's not an easy expression, is it? It's not a I know you're really busy, but when you get around to it, if you could just do a bit of justice on the side, that'd be great. It's a spend yourself, give yourself to this. Another translation says, pour yourself out on behalf of those who are vulnerable and in need. And you know, speaking up against injustice could be that there's something in your workplace. It could be that someone in your workplace just isn't treated fairly. And maybe you've been worried about speaking up on their behalf because you don't, you don't want to get like, put in, the, in with them, lumped in with them. That could cause you some trouble. Maybe this morning God is saying, no, I want you to speak up. It's hard, isn't it? I think we've all seen um, instances of things like racism on public transport, haven't we? Where sometimes those videos show everyone just sits there and doesn't say a word. I don't want to get involved. It might be risky. It might be dangerous. I know it's wrong, but I don't want to say anything. And then other times we get to see those videos that are shared on social media where some brave soul steps up and says, stop it, it's wrong, and calls it out and stands in the gap. God calls us as Christians to be people who stand in the gap, who take risks, who are bold and brave. And it's scary, isn't it? And that's why we need the Holy Spirit. We're not called to just do this on our own. We are empowered by the Spirit of God. 
Where do we start? What does it look like? Where do we bring justice? You know, for some of us, it might be just starting to read up on some injustices in our community, in our nation, whatever it is. Let me give you one example of this. Something that I um, heard about recently is that, um, according to the Children's Commissioner for England, 100,000 children are excluded from school every year. 100,000. That's bigger than the population of Hastings where I live. 100,000 children are excluded from school every year. (coughs) The bit that shocked me was that eight out of ten of them are from backgrounds that could be classed as vulnerable. That means vulnerable because of poverty in particular, but also might be other factors like mental health as well. So 80% or 80,000 children are excluded from school because they're from a vulnerable background, or it's more likely if you're from a vulnerable background. If you're already classed as vulnerable, so if your life's already pretty difficult, if you're already experiencing factors like poverty, uh, mental health, and this is just because of the family you've been born into, then the odds are already stacked against you. And then if you go on to think about the fact that 85% of children in young offenders institutes were excluded from school before they ended up in a young offenders institute. So do you see the trajectory there? So for me, I was born into a family that was in relative poverty. By our national standards, I grew up in poverty. And so the odds then of me being excluded from school are much higher. And if I'm excluded from school, the odds of me ending up in a young offenders institute are much higher. And the overwhelming majority of people in our adult prisons went to a young offenders institute before they ended up in an adult prison. So basically, if you are born into a certain family, that can mean the odds are stacked against you for your whole life for all your outcomes. I remember reading almost 10 years ago that because I was born into poverty, that not only did I have a higher chance of ending up in prison and a lower chance of doing well at school, it was also likely to affect my employment opportunities, uh, my health um, throughout my whole life, both physical and mental health, and I'm likely to die younger because of it. Just because I was born into a family. It's not right, is it? It's not fair. It's not just. So what can we do about things like that? Well, I'm just going to mention one charity to you. It's not that I have a particular allegiance to this charity, by the way. It's just that it's an example. So TLG, it's a charity you may have heard of. It stands for Transforming Lives for Good. And TLG, um, basically through churches all across the country, um, are involved in mentoring kids at risk of exclusion. So about 7,000 children across this country are mentored by Christians who give out an hour a week to a child for one academic year. So term time, they commit, I'll give you an hour every week to mentoring you, to coming alongside you, to helping you work through whatever it is that's going on with you. And the whole aim of that is to stop those children being excluded. Because if they don't get excluded, then they're less likely to go into a young offenders institute and then they're less likely to go to prison and they're less likely to have their whole lives affected 
by the fact they're at risk of exclusion. Um, my church in Hastings, we, we run TLG Education Mentoring, and the woman who leads that team, I remember her telling me this story the year before COVID of a seven-year-old that she had spent the year mentoring. And at the beginning of this year, the seven-year-old was literally on the brink of exclusion from school. And she said that over the course of the year, she'd helped him work through some anger issues. And actually, his anger issues were mostly around injustice as well. She'd helped him build his confidence up, understand that he has worth. Actually, as a human being, because he's made in the image of God, he has an inherent worth. And as she'd walked this journey with him for a year, at the end of the year, this seven-year-old basically said, I'd quite like to be a police officer when I'm older. He had gone from actually, in his case, very much already heading towards criminality, criminal behaviour. And now he's saying, at the age of seven, I want to be a police officer. And the woman who runs this project in my church said, the thing that was really astonishing about this seven-year-old is that he had started to understand how his behaviour now at the age of seven could affect his opportunity to become a police officer later in life. I really believe that child's life has been changed and transformed because one person gave an hour a week to helping head off an injustice at the pass. Just very quickly to finish, I'll give you another couple of examples. There's a woman in my church. She wanted to support survivors of modern slavery. She is one woman, but she knew that God had put this on her heart and she couldn't find any way to do it. For the sake of time, I'll tell her story briefly. She spent two or three years just gathering with two others of us. I was included in this. Um, the three of us would pray once a month and we did that for about three years before any possibility of doing anything happened. This one woman knew that God had spoken to her. She knew she needed to persist in prayer and she knew she needed to keep looking for opportunities to do something. There's a whole story I could tell you about the last 12 years and how that journey's gone for her. But let me just tell you that now, today, at my church, we have trained well over 400 police officers, local government staff, fire officers and others in how to spot the signs of human trafficking. And we have trained over 100 of them to deliver that training in their organisations so that they're not reliant on us to keep doing it, but so that they can cascade it out through their organisations. At the time at which this woman felt God put this on her heart, our local police said, actually, we don't think human trafficking and modern slavery is an issue in our community. We don't think we need your help. They've now identified over 400 um, victims of human trafficking and modern slavery in my local community since we started this work, since we started this training. That's one woman, though. You might think, how on earth can I get to the point where I've trained over 400 frontline staff? This one woman, for three years, all she did was pray with two other people for, for every month. Don't be put off by the size of the problem. If God has put something on your heart, just start ploughing into it now by praying. Start investing in it now by praying. When the kingdom advances, justice rolls out like rivers, it says in Amos. Justice is on the heart of God. It is a kingdom priority. I would love to pray for us if that would be okay. Do you know what, if you're sitting here, I'm going to ask a few different categories so it won't be obvious who's in which one. But if you're, if you're here and you're, just, you're like, actually, do you know what, I'm really struggling with injustice. I need God to minister to my heart and bring healing to my heart. I need to know that God cares. Then in a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand. But at the same time, if you're like, do you know what, I need to care about this more than I do. If you're someone here and you think, actually, justice 
it's not that important to me, or sometimes it's important to me, but I can take it or leave it, then I'd love you to stand as well. And finally, if you know that God's put something on your heart and you know that there's a particular call on your life to be someone who brings justice, either in church life or in your family or in your work life, whatever setting it may be, I'd love you to stand too. So if you're in any of those categories, please would you stand? Why don't you, whatever way you kind of receive from God, whatever posture helps you focus on God, whether it's lifting your hands or putting a hand on your heart, whatever it is, why don't you, why don't you just do that now? Father, I thank you so much that you are a God of justice. Thank you that anything in us that cares about justice only cares about it because you've made us this way. You've made us like you. You've made us to care about justice. And God, we're sorry for when we haven't cared about it as much as we should. We're sorry, God, for where we've, we've been biased or prejudiced or, God, we've been more concerned about one issue than another. God, would you come this morning and fill us with your Holy Spirit? God, I pray that for those here who are struggling with injustice, would you come and minister to their hearts right now, God? I pray, God, they would uh, leave here this morning knowing that you care, knowing that you see every injustice and you care about it and you work justice and that one day there will be perfect and complete justice because Jesus died to bring that complete justice for us. And God, for those here who, who just know they haven't cared about it as much as they should, God, will we just say we're sorry. God, we're sorry, we repent. Help us to start to care more. Uh, thank you, Father. It's a process. I thank you, you. You take us on a journey. You don't expect us to be perfect just because we've heard this this morning and been prayed for. But God, I pray we would become those who care more and more about justice and not just the justice issues that are our passion, but justice in and of its own, its own sake, for its own sake, God. And for those who've got that call on them, God, to be justice bringers in a specific area, God, would you anoint them right now? Would you raise them up? Whether that's raising them up in their, maybe even their street or their household, it may be in a very small setting, or whether that's raising them up nationally and everything in between, God, we pray, would you raise them up? Would you lift up the voices of your people to speak out against injustice? to defend the rights of others, especially the most vulnerable? Would you raise up our voices? Would you help us to speak up for justice everywhere we have opportunity? And for some this morning who've even just been touched by those brief stories I shared about one woman praying or about one woman going into a school and spending an hour a week with a child, God, I pray you'd give specific examples to people of how they can be justice bringers. I pray you'd help us to see clearly the injustices around us, that we might be those who reflect you, who reflect your kingdom. God, we want to carry your kingdom of justice to those around us. Would you help us? In Jesus' name. Amen.